Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. This is a match review. Coming up on this episode, I'm joined by Brighton writer Richie Mills as we preview Newcastle's trip down to the Amex to face Brighton on Saturday night. Leeds play Fulham on Friday evening and if Fulham win there, that'll change the whole dynamic of what is already a massive game for both Newcastle and Brighton. Newcastle fans consider this to be one of the biggest games in the recent history of their club. A preview in this game, so pop the kettle on, make yourself a brew, settle down to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. Hello, welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. This is a match preview. Newcastle head down to Brighton for what is arguably the biggest game of the season, probably for both sides um, on Saturday evening. Just a heads up, we are recording this on Tuesday morning because I stupidly booked the rest of the week off thinking it was the international break and it turns out it wasn't and it's now the biggest game in Newcastle's recent history. So that actually might turn out to be a blessing. I'll let you know come the end of the match on Saturday for now, I'm joined by Brighton writer Richie Mills from Sussex Live. He joined us last week on a relegation special as I chatted to reporters covering Fulham, Brighton and West Brom. And on that episode, Rich, you said you were bricking it. But I imagine the result against Southampton might have lifted your mood somewhat. Yes. Um, yeah, the the result on, on Sunday was exactly what Brighton needed. It was... Um, it was back to their good old pragmatic approach um, of not having as much possession, not as many um, chances on goal, and their expected goal uh, tally was actually below Southampton's, which is basically, um, if they want to win a game, that's m- mostly what needs to happen. So, yes, yeah, so a lovely, um, nice little uh, injection there to to um, calm some of the nerves, but um, the bricks still haven't gone away completely. Yeah, the nerves on you on Tyneside are absolutely roaring. I don't think anyone is confident going into this game. I mean, you mentioned there that actually the Brighton created less chances against Southampton. But I, I said to a colleague yesterday, I think um I think they'll get three or four maybe against Newcastle the way things are, just because Newcastle are lacking confidence. There doesn't seem to be any real sort of plan. And there's always this kind of and it's a bit cliche, but there's always this kind of thing that when you need uh, the tighter turn you want to face Newcastle. So, for instance, um, if you're a goal scorer who hasn't scored in 10 games, you want <laughs> to face Newcastle. And it sounds daft, but this goes back seasons. It goes back years where it seems to be, if you need something to happen, just just play Newcastle. And I do fear that Brighton's moments of actually turning these chances into, into goals and getting a, a big scoreline will come on Saturday and really dent Newcastle's chances of safety. It's interesting you say that because I think Brighton fans have been waiting for that all season. Um, and if you say that's going to happen, then that's music to my ears and Brighton fans' ears. But the, the thing is, so this is what I'll ask you after my little um, point, but Brighton, yeah, they they seemingly spring results when you don't really expect it. So they beat, um, I mean, sorry to rub salt into the wound. At the start of the season, obviously Brighton got a 3-0 win at St. James's Park. Um, they were great. That was kind of when people, re- you know, Lamp- Tarek Lampton kind of properly, um, to quote Micah Richards, burst onto the scene. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he was fantastic. And, and Neil Mope scored twice and Aaron Connolly um, scored as well. 
and then they had to wait like two months or so for the next win and that was a way to Aston Villa who were you know had briefly been top of the table and you know were high flying were pushing for a top four spot um and then they had to wait until mid-January for the next one against um the unpredictable Leeds and then they got two on the trot against Spurs and Liverpool and then um against Southampton and also what was interesting was Brighton took the lead and they've dropped 17 points from winning positions this season. So everyone was like, when Southampton scored, so here we go again. But they managed to hold on. So, but if you look at kind of the previous results of um, of Brighton, they haven't beaten. They've they picked up one point against Crystal Palace of the two games. They drew against 10-man Sheffield United. Uh, they've lost to West Brom. Uh, they drew twice with Burnley. They drew 0-0 twice with Fulham. Um, they just haven't been able to beat the teams around them. So even though the recent result was a very good one, I don't know if you can extrapolate from what's happened before as if it's just going to be an easy win because the way to beat Brighton, if you're, um, especially at the Amex, is you can just sit back, soak up the pressure and hit them on the break. So my question to you would be, do Newcastle have that ability to do that? If you'd asked us uh, a few weeks ago, I would have said yes, without me, you're on, and sent Maxim in the side. But it's it's strange because you would look at the players they've got, you would say Ryan Fraser, yes. Um, but it just the, the, the system that they're playing at the moment is the same system that was built around St. Maxman, Callum Wilson and Almiron, and it worked fine. They've got on the counter. This system doesn't fit the players they've got. And for most, it needs to be changed. Steve Bruce seems reluctant to. He said as much after the Aston Villa game that he doesn't look like he's going to change it going forward. And in a podcast after that Villa game, um, it was 1-1. I spoke to my colleague Lee Rydan and we both agreed it was kind of like putting square pegs in round holes. It just doesn't fit. Um, individually, yes, they probably have got the players to, to catch Brighton on the on the counter. I mean, Ryan Fraser is, is quick and and what have you, but when he's deployed as a false number nine, as as it's like to be called these days, he's ineffective because you know he's a winger and he wants to be out on the wing, and then you're left with a massive space in the middle. And I think if they change the system and put the players in the in the right positions, and yes, but as I say, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And um, I, yeah, I just, I just fear that um, Steve Bruce will stick to what, what he's been doing recently and, and, and hope it, it works, which you know it hasn't done. I mean, you look at the the last ten games, Newcastle have picked up nine points, Brighton have picked up fifteen. So, you know, coming in, into this, we all know Newcastle have only won two since uh, December in the league. It's, it's, it's everything is pointing to a very, very. Uh, upsetting end to the season and I I can't see it getting any better on Saturday. In terms of the injuries that you have to Almiron, St. Maximan and Wilson, um, how badly do you need them back? And is there a, a worry that um the kind of the, the intervening period where they're not there, you could, you know, slowly um fall into the relegation zone and then you're playing catch up. I mean, first of all, we weren't picking up any points with them in the side, but of course, Newcastle are always a bigger threat with them in the side than, than, than they're not. My biggest worry is is that Steve Bruce 
said after the Aston Villa game that we've got some big players coming coming back and that should give us something to focus on. And instantly, you know, something went off in my head and was like, but that's that, that's not right. That's not what should be being said here. It should be saying, if you're Ryan Fraser, if you're Jacob Murphy, come and show me that you're good enough to keep these players out of the side when they're fit. Come and show me you want this shirt, you know, this, this place in the side. And there's points to play for, you know, this massive game on Saturday. The last two against West Brom and Aston Villa were huge. Newcastle picked up two points. Should have been aiming for six. And I just think if that is the approach where, you know, it is literally, let's just kind of get through these games. Let's get through to to, to next month when hopefully we'll have our nuance at Maxman Wilson back and then we'll kick on. It's just, it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't think it sits right with many Newcastle United fans um, because at the end of the day, everyone's got to deal with injuries. You know, you guys have got picked up, picked, picked up a couple. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Adam Lallana has only really just come back and he's been, he's been superb and everyone's got to, got to deal with injuries and to, to, to set your stall out and say, we're waiting until X, Y, Z come back in. I just think it just sends off the wrong, the wrong vibes to, to, to your own squad, to your fans and to the, to the opposition as well. And those fighting for safety alongside you. So if I would ask you to put your managerial hat on, is with the current crop of players that you have, uh, what kind of system do you think you should be looking to employ to, to make the most of the strengths that you do have? Yeah, well, I mean, Steve Bruce seems, you know, he wants to keep that formation, that set up. So fair enough, you know, the kind of the, the two wide men in the, in the man in the centre. It's just about playing the players in the right position. Play Dwight Gale in the centre, play Ryan Fraser out on the wing. You know, yeah, keep Joe Linton out on the right. He did it, you know, he had Mings in his in his back pocket really for most of the game against Villa, which is saying something because Mings has been brilliant all season. So by all means, if you want to keep that system, do that, but just deploy the players in the right position. You know, it just doesn't make sense to have someone like Dwight Gale out on the wide. It's like having uh, Mopey out on the on the on the left or the right. It just it doesn't make any sense because they're best when they're in a central role, running onto the ball, holding onto the last man, that's where they're best, you know. That's how you're going to score goals. And it's just, it's frustrating to see. So with that in mind, that's what I'd do. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd like to see an old-fashioned four-four-two. to be fair. Two wingers, Andy Carroll and uh, Gail up front. Just, just you know, old-fashioned. Let's just get the points on the board. But if Steve Bruce doesn't want to do that, that's all right. Fine, he's head coach. Just play the players in the right position because um, if you look at the heat map against Villa, and bear in mind, like I mentioned previously, Ryan Fraser was deployed as this number 10 rule, false number 9. The heat map shows him out on the left. So it's like instinctively that's where he wants to be. Of course he does. Yeah. He's put in 101 crosses this season for Newcastle and he's barely even played with injuries and suspension and what have you. He's put 101 crosses in. He's something like 24th in the whole league and the players above him have all played twice as many minutes as him. And it's just like, I just, I, I, it just, it, my head hurts just thinking about Ryan Fraser in a central role. He's the best cross of the ball you've got. And I just think just, just, just play him on the wing and Newcastle will instantly look more threatening um, but you know, Steve Bruce, I, I, I think he may, he may stick with the same, the same players and the positions he had them against Villa, which 
would just leave the likes of Dwight Gill totally ineffective against Brighton. Was there um, a modicum of comfort with how um, Newcastle finished the game against Villa? Obviously, they grabbed a goal right at the death, but um, I, I switched on for, I think, for the last 10, 15 minutes. And I think they um, hit the post as well. And they looked like they were had a bit more um, a bit more incisive than, um, than maybe in the past. That yeah, there was a bit bit more urgency towards the end, and, and Alan Shearer mentioned it on on Five Live. And but it's no good turning up for the last five ten minutes against the Villa side, who you know are effectively a one man side. You know, without Jack Grealish, they haven't got that spark. So you've got you've got to go against these sides, and you've got to go against the, the sides like you know West Brom and, and and try and win. And against Brighton, you know and I look at the way they, they played against West Brom specifically or, or Wolves the week before, you know, who haven't done anything special this season. And if they set up with the same and the same approach, the same energy which is which is lacking, then I do wonder if that'll suit Brighton because, you know, the, the, yeah, they want to win, obviously Brighton want to win. I, I don't say Newcastle don't want to win. I just think the, the approach is wrong because they just don't look energetic. They don't look they don't have that urgency. It's like, do, do, do they realise they're in a relegation scrap yet? And I'm sure they do. The comments from the manager, the comments from the players, obviously, you know, they know what, what they're fighting for. But on the pitch against these sides, the last couple of games, which have been winnable, have just lacked that spark and that energy. And I just wonder what's the contrast, how Brighton are, are playing and how they've played in the last few few games. Well, I'd say um, just in terms of... Uh... Graham Potter's demeanour, he just exudes this kind of, you know, calmness and um, I, I do think uh, from an outsider looking in uh, what I like about him is that he he's always um, he's always staying positive and he never like lets, you know um, he never goes after referees for certain decisions or complains and stuff like that, he's just like, you know, those are the uncontrollables, we have to focus on the controllables um, and I yeah, I, I think you keep hearing it from the Brighton players. They keep believing that it's going to come good. And then, and I think Leandro Trossard, who scored the winner, a really good one against Southampton in the 2-1 win. He said, this was just, um, you know, this is finally, uh, our efforts are uh, paying off. Obviously, that's just a one win. But yeah, I, I do I do get the sense it's a happy camp. Um, but things can change very, very quickly. I think I said in the previous one on your show that... Um, Brighton were were ten points clear of Fulham. They beaten Spurs. They beaten Liverpool, and then within a, a few weeks, they were out of the relegation zone on goal difference out of Fulham. So things can turn really, really quickly. Um, so it yeah, it, to, to, uh, Sunday was a timely win for Brighton. But as I said again, I I still don't think that that is a guarantee that they'll come away with the three points on Saturday night. I mentioned Lalana there just briefly. I've been uh, just impressed by him. He just looks, no disrespect to Brighton, he just looks a different class. He looks like he could still be at home in a top six side. And he, I think he's made a big difference. He just, he's got that. I don't know what it is. He's just got something about him. And I think a lot of people, I know Newcastle were linked to him and fans were a bit like, he's going to cost a lot. He's, injury record isn't great and all that what have you he's coming towards maybe the, the the latter years of his of his career but I tell you what he, he the last few games that I've watched um at Brighton and I haven't watched the whole games I've just caught them briefly but he looks like he is really making the difference 
Yeah, so I'd say especially the last two games. So he got his first goal for the club. Um, just quick right rewind. He signed for Brighton in the summer on a free transfer from Liverpool, three-year deal. And I think people were very, were very happy, obviously, you know, getting him on free is great. Um, there was a little bit of a worry because he's had such, you know, so many injury issues. Um, I think between him and Danny Welbeck, another player, Brighton signed on a free transfer, they've had close to 30 injuries between them over their, the course of their careers. Um, so there was a little bit of a gamble, but there was definitely signs early on that Lallana was good, but he was... He picked up an injury, I think, in the first game against Chelsea. And then over the course of the next few months, he he just he kept having a recurring groin issue. And that was particularly highlighted when he came on against Liverpool in uh, late November. He came on substitute in like the 50th minute and then had to be subbed off again because his groin flared up again. Uh, so... And then also, just to um, add a little bit more, he his his finishing has been pretty bad, I think, uh, up until recently. And then, so he had also had COVID for a few weeks over the new year. And then he was kind of slowly been put back in. And then the last two games, he got his first goal against Leicester for the club in the 2-1 loss. And then played very, very well against Southampton. And that was the first time in a while that he's done back-to-back 90 minutes. He's only done that, um, well, he's only done completed 90 minutes five times this season. So, but like you say, he has, at times he's he's been different class. The, the last two matches, the first half against Leicester, Brighton were really good. And um, Lalana was like the the composer, you know, in front of the the orchestra. He was He was just conducting everything. It was... Really, really good. He was, um, he just seemed to have a bit more time on the ball and, and just like, um, an awareness and, and was, um, feeding out his teammates, not literally. Um, but yeah, he was, he was just, um, a conduit for everything good. And, and he plays an attacking, um, midfielder against Leicester and then against Southampton, he played a more, a little deeper line role, but was equally as effective. So if he can continue that form, then I do think that Newcastle could be in a bit of bother. Um, it's just if he can stay fit and continue that high level of performance. Because yeah, if he um, if he can keep that, then he will be a massive part of Brighton's chances of staying up. Hmm. I just worry for Newcastle in that position. I mean, Jeff Henry came in; he's not not done anything. We've got Isaac Hayden, who's who's brilliant, um, but he's a you know he's more defensive than anything else. And then John Joe Shelby, who you don't know, you know, what kind of John Joe Shelby's going to turn up. If he's on his day, then brilliant. But you know, they're f- very rare. And I think right now Newcastle, they need players to step up and be counted. They need players to, you know, to take games by the scruff of the neck. And it goes back to what I said about that Villa result. You can't be just turning up with five minutes left on the clock. You need to be turning up from from the word go. Um, and of course, Steve Bruce picks out positives. He says, you know, that he thinks that it would have been cruel to lose the game against Villa. And we've seen him talk about positive first halves against Manchester United, which spot on, you know, it was. And you know, they should have been two or three goals up. But at the end of the day, the the little graphic in the top corner is what counts, you know. And if you don't score your chances, as, as Brighton know, then you're not going to pick up points. 
Is that still Brighton's biggest weakness, do you think, not converting their chances? A hundred percent. I think, yeah, I alluded to it last time. I haven't quite checked the updated one, but before the Southampton game, in terms of expected points table, Brighton would be fifth. I mean, what more do you need to say? Like, they... And I think Martin Keown said over the weekend on Match of Day 2, something about Brighton had created 122 chances and hadn't converted from them So in recent times. So it's just, yeah, the, the problem is, is that, um, uh, I mean, Brighton spent £20 million, um, in the summer of 2019 on Neil Mopé. He scored 10 goals last season. Uh, which was below his expected total by a few. This season, it's been a little bit... Um, I mean, he's he's been on seven goals for a long time. He's been on seven goals since mid-January. And he just doesn't really, at times, look like um, an out-and-out striker. He just, he just sometimes has... He just seems on different wavelengths for some of his teammates, and he invariably... Ma- maybe makes the wrong option if I'm being a little harsh. Um, he works his socks off, so credit to him for for not sort of moping about. He really, uh, moping about. Um, sorry, that's poor. Um, wah, wah, wah. So, yeah, I mean, but there, it's not just him. There's, it's a collective uh, responsibility for everyone to chip in with goals, and they haven't been doing that nearly enough. Um, Danny Welbeck, um, he's, quite, he's below his expected goal, uh, Tally, Aaron Connolly as well. I mean, Brighton missed two penalties against West Brom. It's not, yeah, it's just that is their their Achilles heel. And the problem is they just have to work so many openings at home, especially, for them to take them. And if they don't, then often just teams are more clinical the other end and then they're punished. Yeah, well, it's Newcastle next for more here, so you might you might have a bit of success. Um, and I also, I mean, I just, I've got it written down there. You mentioned the fact that uh, Brighton don't beat teams around them. It, that's Newcastle's biggest weakness as well, because they just can't, they can't beat teams around them. I mean, they got beat off Sheffield United, um, you know, uh, out of, I, I tweeted after the West Brom game, that with the 45 points played for so far against the other nine sides in the bottom half of the table, Newcastle have just claimed 16, you know, and then you look at the likes of Palace. Palace, you know, have got a really good record against the sides around them. And it's it's when you're battling for safety and relegation, look, it'll be the same for Brighton fans as it is for Newcastle fans. You want to be more than a mid-table side, but at the moment that's where, that's probably the, the, the aim. And to get there, you've got to beat the teams around them. And it seems Brighton are much like Newcastle. And they, just, they just struggle. I mean, Newcastle struggled to win anyway, so... Um, I think that's one of the biggest worries for fans um, in the weeks to come because Newcastle's running is really difficult. You know, the likes of Leicester to come and Arsenal. It's it, the running is is really scary. So Newcastle need a win on on Saturday. No ifs, no buts, no excuses. Newcastle need a win, um, and the fallout could potentially be huge. And the fans will not be happy if Newcastle lose. You know, and understandably because. You do. You, you you just worry. I mean, are Brighton looking at this game a, as a must win, and B are they looking at it as they come into this game as favourites? Um, the favourites one is hard to say. 
because Graham Potter just sort of says the same thing, you know, every game is a massive game and we don't, you know, we un we don't uh, underestimate anyone. I'd say um, before Sunday, Brighton fans would say the Newcastle game was a must win. And I still think it is the probably the biggest game of the season. But also considering the fact that Brighton, after the international break, they travel to <clears throat> Manchester United, then they um, host Everton, and then they're away to Chelsea. So, you know, that's a very tough run of games. I think they have Sheffield United away at the end of that month. So that could be maybe a, a bit of, um, of a reprieve. But it's, yeah, I'd say this is 100% a must-win game for Brighton just to keep that momentum going and, and you know, get them a bit more breathing room going into the international break because, you know, that's a long, that might feel like a long gap. I mean, it's probably close to around two weeks in terms of, you know, one game to the next. So must-win game. I think maybe they're slight favourites going in, but again, it's important to say that Brighton have won once at the season, once this season at the Amex um, against uh, one that won over Tottenham in January, but they haven't won. The last time they won before that was back in June um, against Arsenal. Uh, their home form is awful. It was, I believe, before they beat Spurs, it was might have been the worst in the Football League this season. So if uh, Newcastle are looking to pick up points, this is not a bad place to go. You say that, but I think a lot of Newcastle United fans will be screaming at their phone or speakers in exactly the same the other way around. I mean, Newcastle have... Uh, what were we looking at? Yes, Newcastle have not... I mean, just... I mean, there's no point looking at home and away for them because in general, it's just it's just pretty dismal. I mean, they've won four at home and three on the road, but they haven't won. I mean, they beat Southampton at home back on February, but then it was all the way back to, to West Brom on December the, the 12th. And it's, it is only two wins in what is that? It's like 17, 18 games for Newcastle. And it's just, it's just dismal to watch. And if you are a neutral listening to this podcast, I mean, I don't know why you would be, but if you are, you're watching it, this is not the place to be. <laughs> this is not the place to be if you want to listen to two chaps talking about good, decent football and their team's doing well, because neither side appear to be. Although we are wearing the same colour jumper, so that is something. If I could sorry, interject, sorry, Andrew, uh, who would you say, if this is um, possible, who would you say are the kind of danger men that Brighton need to look out for? Ryan Fraser, I think he's got a he's got a point to prove. If Jacob Murphy starts, which many fans are hoping he does, but I mean, again, it's 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 anyone's guess. I think he, as well as is someone you have to watch out for. He he came off the bench and was lively, hit the bar, and then he he set up Carroll for the uh, not Carroll, he set up Lissell, Sorry for the for the header. Um, he needs a new deal in the summer, so he's got something to prove. They're the two really, because you look around the team. Which is probably likely to pick, you would say, the team, maybe give or take Murphy, you know, thrown in the same team that he played against Villa. So there's no one that really stands out. Shelby needs a good game. You know, he puts himself about a bit, but we're still waiting for, we're just waiting for him to kind of step up and, and, and create the chances that Newcastle need. But, you know, they're missing their three 
they're missing their three best players. And that's not an excuse because, as I said right at the start, you've got to go through injuries. It's all now about those players who have replaced them stepping up, proving they're worth a spot on that team. And that's what Steve Bruce has got to do. That's what I, what I would like to see him do. Not say, as he has done in recent weeks, ah, we're missing Almiron, we're missing St. Maximum, we're missing... Callum Wilson, let's talk about the players who you have got at your disposal because, you know, you've still got some good, decent Premier League players there. I mean, Jacob Murphy, with the right arm around his shoulder, could still be a very good Premier League player. Ryan Fraser, you know, questions over attitude and what have you, but there's no questions over his ability. I mean, he, he, he's superb when he gets the ball to his feet and he's down the wing. He's He's got speed. He's got everything a good player needs. So I think we just need to see confidence built up into them and hopefully, from a Newcastle point of view, that pays off on Saturday evening. Um, but yeah, definitely Ryan Fraser. And if Jacob Murphy gets the nod, then I'd say them two are, are, are probably the, the ones to watch out for. But it all just depends on on who Steve Bruce decides to to pick and, and how he approaches the game, really. How are Newcastle um, at both ends on set pieces? They're not. They're not. They're not too bad, but I don't. I wouldn't say they're devastating when it comes to attacking corners. Or I mean, obviously they scored with a header from um, the cells, but that wasn't a set piece. It did come. Did it come from a? I think it did come from a corner, and the cross um, didn't reach anyone, and it was put back in. Um, and yeah, they're not too bad defending. I either got you know Martin Dubravka between between the sticks and. You know, Lascelles is, is is sturdy. Kieran Clark's been superb. You know, I don't think anyone would have really thought Kieran Clark uh, would have performed as well as he ha- has done. It's probably arguably Steve Bruce's best moment as a Newcastle United head coach when he stopped that uh, potential exit from happening. I think uh, Clark was linked to Crystal Palace, and there was a friendly. I'm gonna say it, Hibs and. Um, he took Kieran Clark aside and just said, look, okay, I understand you want first-team football. That's on the table, perhaps, Palace, but stay here. And he's, he's come to that side and he's, he's done really well. So they're, they're all right, I guess, but you do just get, it's more just getting hit on the, hit on the counter, I think, which is the biggest issue. And the, the spaces appear. There's a lot of bodies on the line. There's a lot of throwing themselves in front of challenges, that kind of what you expect when you're down at the bottom. So it's not pretty defending it most of the time but right now it doesn't really matter as long as the ball doesn't go in the back of the net and Newcastle can put the ball in the in the right end then that's all that matters at this point with 10 11 games to go I don't really care how, how good it is to watch that can be a conversation for the summer yeah I, w- I would say that Brighton aren't uh usually aren't really a counter-attacking team they sort of like to slowly build it up from the back mm. um, and then yeah trying to work teams over by um yeah lots of possessions of that so yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say maybe that's the way it could could happen but um one another thing i wanted to ask was um jumping ahead a little bit say if newcastle do stay up would steve bruce keep the job or do you think he'll be given the boot i think he'd, yeah i think he'd keep the job and that's not based on any you know inside knowledge i that's just my opinion i think He's been set the task of keeping Newcastle United in the Premier League. And if he does that, whether it be by a single point or by goal difference, then he does that. And I think, you know, there's talk of a, a massive payoff if he, if he does get sacked. And that's, that runs into to probably a little bit of the thinking. 
But at the end of the day, if he keeps Newcastle in the Premier League and that's his remit, which it's understood it is, then, you know, he's done his job. And it doesn't, sadly, Mike Ash doesn't really care what Newcastle United fans think. We've had 13 years of, in my opinion, you know, underinvestment, you know, there's no ambition and it is just to keep Newcastle as a Premier League side. So if Steve Bruce does that, he probably wouldn't lose his job. The big change would come when the fans get allowed back into the stadiums because if he that had, if the fans had been in the stadiums, stadium yeah. this time around, it's arguable he wouldn't be in the job because the pressure would just be too much because he's you know he hasn't really got the majority of, of the backing from the fans and there's the other side of the coin where you say well actually wouldn't Newcastle perform better in the first place with fans and they wouldn't find themselves in this position, but you know that's it. Yeah, you you open that box and you go down a whole different different route with those questions. Um, but yeah, if he if he keeps Newcastle in the Premier League, I think his his job would be safe and he would start the season as, as Newcastle United manager, definitely. Yeah. Just to um just to kind of maybe give some of your listeners a bit of more background on on Brighton, just in terms of maybe the men to watch out for. Um, so Eve Basuma is um basically midfield destroyer. Uh, he's, I think, fifth in the league for for tackles one. Um, he's been linked with, you know, if you believe them, Arsenal apparently very interested in him. Uh, Real Madrid, um, Monaco, lots of good, uh, well, top clubs there. He, yeah, he, he loves to break up play. He's, um, he's, yeah, he's, 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 he, he's um, well. Graham Potter has said he's he could definitely play in the Champions League. He's that's he's definitely um a very good player in in the making. And um his shooting sometimes can be amazing and then you know hit Rosette. But uh, he's a very good player. Uh Lewis Dunk, the captain in centre back, has been in very, very good form. There's renewed calls for him to get an England call up. Um he's just very, very solid. Uh he scored a fantastic header against Southampton. He's actually Brighton's second top scorer with four goals. Uh, he, I think he's actually level on Neil Mope in terms of goals and open play because no Mope scored three penalties. So, um, but yeah, he's a very, very good centre back. Uh, if you can get someone um, with pace running at him, that is where you can exploit him a bit. Jamie Vardy showed that um, in a Leicester win. But yeah, very, very solid defender. As it talked about Adam Milano, if he's firing on all cylinders, he's definitely a threat. Um, and then there's other, there's got a, cu- a couple of others, you know, players who can be hit and miss. Leandro Trossard on, at, at moments can just can explode into a game and and um, and really hurt teams, as he showed against Southampton. Um, and then one thing that will be interesting to see just for, and I, I saw this was actually a, a bit of um, a criticism that was levelled at Bruce was. Like you said earlier, his um, he didn't change his tactics, and Potter did in the Southampton game. So um, Brighton are without their their wing backs in Solly March and Tarek Lamptey, both are out for the season, and they've argued been Brighton's you know one of their best players this season. So they've recently switched to a back four, and they've got Big Dan Byrne, who at times is um, like a lighthouse in the desert, not much help. Um, and it did but, did sorry just jumping did Dan Byrne pick up an injury because I I watched again briefly that game against Southampton and he went on um <laughs> he went on this amazing run 
but it looked like seconds before he just tweaked his hamstring and he was holding the back of it. Then he goes on this amazing run. The ball, he knocks the ball over the defender, Gazaresk. He then runs up the pitch. He does run, look like he's running through jelly or trickle. Yeah. And then he squares it to Gross, who slips it. Yeah. Shoots. I mean, you'll probably remember the chance. Um, so, uh, but he went, did he go off? He did go off. And will he be all right for the weekend? Yeah, so that's the thing. So he went off at halftime with a hamstring issue. We don't know how serious it is yet. Um, but, and then what was interesting, so they switched from a back four and then brought on a guy who's actually a striker called Andy Zakiri, but he has played at sort of as a winger, but he was brought in at left wing back. And that completely changed the complexion of the game and showed top, uh, Potter, uh, even though it was a kind of an enforced change, he tweaked things around tactically and it paid dividends because... They the wing backs were able to bomb forward and overload Southampton's midfield a bit, and um, whereas uh, the Southampton like wing backs were able to bomb forward when it was they had less presence in midfield, and yeah, I, I'm you know Dan Burn uh, Potter loves him. I, I don't think he's. I think there are better options. So actually, it'll be interesting to see if he starts because. Brighton were a much, uh, they were a better team. They were a more solid team, a more, co- more cohesive team when they had two wing backs. So it'll be interesting to see if Burn is fit. Um, but yes, it, I mean, that could be an interesting one because Zakiri is a striker, but he just played, he did his job very well at left wing back. So that that could be an interesting one to see if he goes, if Potter goes for a back three and then two wing backs or a back four if, if Dan Burn is fit. So, uh, that, that could be Newcastle... maybe an area you could exploit. I was going to say, is that Newcastle's best chance of exploiting that then would be to kind of target burn in that, that back four? Well, yeah, I mean, he's not the... I mean, he's six foot seven. Um, he's not the most mobile. If he is okay, um, then, yeah, if you could maybe get someone with a bit of pace running at him. I mean, Adama Traore scared the life out of him earlier this season. He scared the life out of most people, though, I would argue. That's true, that's true. But in particular, Dan Burn conceded their own goal um he brought Troy down in the penalty area for a penalty, got yellow carded and was subbed off. He had a horrible day. He just he yeah, he ran rings around him, which is no, you know, which is no um uh you know bad thing. But yes, if you can get a mobile person running at Dan Burn, you know, you're in Brighton could be in trouble. Let's finish off then with your score prediction. How would you see Saturday going? Uh, I'm going for 18-14 to Brighton. No, I'm um, I think it will be... I'm going to go for a nervy one-all. One-all. Would that be good enough for Brighton? I, I don't think it would be good enough for Newcastle. I mean, in terms of points on the board, okay, but much win for Newcastle. Well, I mean, um, correct me if I'm wrong, when are Fulham playing? Fulham have got Leeds... Friday. So it, it, this all right. depends on, on this result on Friday against Leeds, doesn't it? But Leeds without Patrick Bamford, potentially, so... Yeah, I mean, what yes. is it, I I guess the approach to to game to this game between Castle and Brighton from both managers will probably change given the result of that 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 game on Friday evening. Yeah, and I know Leeds haven't won. I think in in a couple of years, their their record in London is horrific. They just never beat teams in London. I think the last time they did it was twenty nineteen against QPR or something like that. So they just yeah. So I wouldn't rely on Leeds to to get the results. So it could be back down to. Um, yeah, going into their game, um, there could be a chance that Fulham have won. Yeah. 
so in the allocation zone at that point. So yes. So yeah, I mean that you'd like to think that they maybe wouldn't be affected by that, but you know, it's it's definitely got to play in their mind. But yeah, I still think I don't know, unless unless Brighton can just play more like I did against Southampton. Um I don't know. I just yeah, I think it'll be a nervy draw. What about yourself? I see I see Brighton winning. And I see Brighton winning comfortably. I mean, I'm pessimistic at the best of times, but I just, I just see it clicking, and I just think if it, it, I think it, when Newcastle face teams that like to go with them, you know, and create chances, then they do they do struggle somewhat. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I can see Brighton winning that, and I think um, there's still a massive there's pressure on Steve Bruce coming into this game, so that adds to it. And then if if Fulham if Fulham beat Leeds, I mean, it then goes to the next level. And, and goodness me, you know what I mean? It, it's uh, it doesn't even bear thinking about if Fulham beat Leeds. So, sadly, I do think I, I do think Brighton will win. Um, and Newcastle going that in, international break and really in, in 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 a very very bad situation. There you go. So there we have it. Yes. Yeah, so sorry to the neutral who was coming in at this podcast looking for some football chat about brilliant footballers you've stumbled on the wrong episode rich we do appreciate you joining us on the everything is black and white podcast from a newcastle point of view i hope your weekend is awful <laughs> thank you dear boy yeah thanks for having me on 